and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hey everyone, I'm Mark Marble. And I'm Jim Ford. And this is The Lantern Cast Presents Let's All Go to the Movies, Lantern Cast Drive In Reviews, Subdivision, Marvel Cinematic Universe Edition, Phase Four, The Eternals. Episode 458. <laughs> <laughs> now it would be great if you had to give a, a, a title that long for every episode. <laughs> they were all that long. Uh, it, it was an appropriately long title for an appropriately long movie we're going to be talking about in a few minutes. Exactly. That's yeah, that's that's the thing. Uh, but before we get into the Eternals, which obviously if you couldn't tell from our extendedly long intro, uh, <laughs> we're also going to be discussing the Spider-Man trailer, the second trailer that just dropped this week as we record this. Yes. Hot off the presses. So we'll do that first. That way, if you want to listen to just the trailer, you know, talk uh, and not get spoiled for the Eternals, then that's fine. Or if you don't care to see the Eternals ever and you just want to listen to our spoilers, then the full episode is for you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I think I think we have people who just can't wait to hear about our thoughts on the Eternals. All three of them. But there's probably somebody. All three of our thoughts or all three of the fans? <laughs> well, all three of the fans was what, what I was thinking, but I, we probably have more than three thoughts. Um, oh, I have a lot more than three thoughts. <laughs> so we, not, we may not be able to say them in public, but we have more than three thoughts. It's <laughs> accurate. Okay, so um, I guess we'll, we'll be playing the trailer as we discuss it. Yes, probably will be doing that. I it remains to be seen whether I will whether the trailer will be inserted in this episode. You'll know you'll know if it is because because this disclaimer probably will not be in the episode. <laughs> but if you hear this, the odds are we we opted not to play the trailer and just and just talk about the highlights to us anyway. Yes. But so, before we go before we go into specifics, what did you think oh of God. the trailer? Oh, um, I thought that it was good thought it was a good trailer i'm more um i I think i'm more excited you know now knowing that there's even more villains in it than i had previously thought the some of the humor in the trailer didn't really land with me so that has me i guess a little concerned but uh, I mean, obviously, I think like the biggest the biggest takeaway from this trailer is the stuff that wasn't in it. So how about you? 
I think your description is pretty dead on for what I thought too. Like last night, originally, I told you right off the bat that I was, I felt a, I was a little disappointed in it. I, I think my disappointment is a little more mute, a little more muted now. Now that I've watched it a few, well, I've watched it several times on its own and and watched like about a, a gazillion trailer reactions mm-hmm. video since that again yeah i think for most people if there's any negative it was it's what wasn't in it and for something that was at least during that big uh trailer event that they had that they that this premiered in last night out in yeah. california right that they were promising like big surprise i guess their big surprise was that tom holland was there i guess that which again i guess that but if, as far as what was actually in the trailer i don't know what was a real big surprise i mean we already it was already a, we, well. We already knew uh, Doc Ock was in it. That was proven in the last trailer. It was right. obviously heavily implied Green Goblin was in it. Uh, the lizard, I guess, if you slowed it down enough, you saw the lizard was in it. There was enough swirling sand and lightning to indicate Electro and Sandman were in it. Right. Though realistically speaking, of the of the villains, and I'm sure we'll talk about the Green Goblin stuff too specifically, but. There really weren't any villains in this movie that we didn't that we got a good full glimpse of in this trailer that we didn't know for a fact were going to be in the movie. All it did was, I guess, it, it did elaborate on some of the rumors that were out. It gave more credence to some of the rumors that were out there about some of the plot of this movie, about them having to return the villains and the villains. And by returning the villains, they basically were being returned to die since that's what they were fated to do. And that Peter yeah. Parker was going to have a problem with that. Which of course, supposedly Norman Osborn does a real good job of playing head games with about about that, about which is why they end up being freed again after Doctor Strange and or Peter Parker combined catch all these guys. That that was rumored, and I guess in seeing Doc, you know, seeing Doc Ock in his containment cell and things like that, it kind of reinforces that. And Peter taking the the box from Doctor Strange and it so so. My ju- so it kind of like reinforces, I think, what some, a lot of the rumors that you had heard. Obviously, the big takeaway was literally what was taken away from us, arguably from the trailer, was that there's still no confirmation of Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield and their right. Spider-Man being in the movie. But if you but if you could get beyond that initial disappointment, it was a pretty fun trailer. Yeah, 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 definitely. I, I mean, you know, I, just to get to see some of these villains again like as much as we did in the trailer i think that in and of itself is pretty cool uh i i i do think that that is the uh he went by the name hobgoblin in the amazing spider-man movies right no he was still green goblin he was still green goblin yep he was very hobgoblin-esque though yeah he was yeah he was all kind he was he was a weird amalgam of what they did uh making him deformed like that actually but almost more like demo goblin when Jack O'Lantern was pretending to be Hobgoblin, then he ended up becoming Demo Goblin and actually transformed. Yeah. That's almost what it was like, except there was no trip to hell or something involved in it. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, like this this trailer, like it's got me. It, the, the one I guess downside of it is that there's been so much speculation about this movie, about who's going to be in it, about who's not going to be in it you know like what the premise is that at this point i'm so just like i'm kind of burnt out on you know trying to guess what's going to happen or you know like the different news stories like oh and you know this person's confirmed and this person's confirmed and this person may be you know rumored to be in it and 
Then you got, you know, Kevin Fage. Feige. I can never remember. I, I don't care enough. Um, That's fair. Nothing wrong with that. Talk, yeah, talking about how you know, like people are going to be disappointed, you know, and I think that's because like we all expect certain things out of this movie. And at this point, like, I, I don't know, it, it maybe because they have shown so little so close to the movie coming out. And now with this trailer, they, they've definitely shown a lot more. But I don't know, like there was so much speculation for so long that people are like, you know, they're guessing like, you know, like literally everybody's going to be in this movie. Like, you know, Hugh Jackman's going to have a cameo and, you know, Patrick Stewart's going to have a cameo. And which, you know, that that I'm, I'm exaggerating and joking, but the expectations for this movie are so high. There's almost no way that they can deliver on all of it. So you know, it's just like a matter of like, okay, like at this point, I'm just like kind of, I'm done. And when it comes out, I'm going to see it. And hopefully we'll get enough of what we want to satisfy us. And the stuff that isn't in it, hopefully won't be too big of a deal. So that's where I'm at with this. I think you're absolutely right about the the interest in this movie and the hype for this movie is so strong that it's it that while obviously from a box office perspective this is a good thing because you know this movie is going to do mega mega money yeah but, uh, this will probably almost guaranteed be the first movie during the pandemic era to open up to numbers that you can make a case well it might have been close to opening up to this number absolutely even under normal conditions because you know it's going to do over a hundred million dollars easy on this opening weekend how high beyond that We'll have to see how it's tracking. But considering yeah. Venom did 93, you know, this movie is this movie is a slam dunk to probably do at least 100. I would say probably at least 120 million dollars yeah. on, on, on opening weekend. Uh, so but the hype and the anticipation for this movie is so strong that, yes, yeah, some the negative to that is it becomes almost impossible to make to meet everybody's expectations and make people happy. And then that means that people can come out initially being disappointed even after you know, they kind of ruminate on it and think about it or maybe see it a second time. And then they go, OK, if I see it for what it is and I try to which is always what you're supposed to do, leave out what your preconceived notions or what you want to see and what and just judge the movie by what's on the screen. Yeah. But that, I, but that would be that would be my because obviously if and it's still probably not likely. But if Toby and Andrew Garfield really are not in this movie, that's going to really disappoint a huge percentage of the fan base. <laughs> I mean, that's just an I mean, that's an understatement of the year to say that that's going to be a major disappointment to people if they are not in this movie. Yeah. So that and that doesn't mean that they're not going to be. So, I mean, I think things still point to them probably being in the movie. It does not make a lot of sense that just a villain could cross over. It, I mean, it, it's if it's all connected to Peter Parker, you would think in the spell also you would think other Peter Parkers could would somehow be. But they might be able to explain that away. We won't know. I think the the cons, the idea is it, clearly the idea of seeing most of these villains again will be interesting. It's good to see Electro looking more Electro like. So yeah. it's probably another universe is Electro, not the, the you know, not the Electro we saw in Amazing Spider-Man uh, two but probably a different Electro 
uh, and from a different universe since he looks completely different. But either way, it's that's what plus the little Doctor Strange thing about they're coming in from you know, all, from every universe, all all universes. That it would make sense <laughs> that they're not just coming in from you know the two other Spider-Man universes that we've been introduced to. I thought it was interesting that they're obviously that they decided to play, which again I think probably does support the idea that all the that all three of them will be in the movie. The fact that Doc Ock didn't recognize Tom Holland as Peter Parker. The idea that so all the Peter Parkers don't look the same, and all the universes. Yeah. That I thought that was that's probably not how I would have bet that they were going to go. But the fact that they did that probably to me increases the odds that we will get the other Peter Parkers or some other Peter Parkers in. But I thought that was an interesting choice that when he's unmasked, that he doesn't recognize that he instantaneously says, you're, you know, you're not Peter Parker because he's not his Peter Parker. I thought that was cool. Obviously, the whole just hearing Willem Dafoe talk is cool. Yeah, he's supposed to have a He's rumored to have a decent sized role in this movie, which is why I think that other goblin flying is still Norman. I just think it's a modified suit. I think yeah. it's a I think it's a suit modified in the beginning when he comes over, you see him in his original outfit when everybody gets captured and put in those cells. And then after they get out, he kind of Scooby Doo's that bitch into modern tech. <laughs> that That's what I think, especially because if the rumors are true about. And I won't go into this in case anybody doesn't want to know anything else about the movie. Not that again, it's not a real spoiler because it's speculation. It's just a rumor. Yeah. But the idea, but based on how things are supposed to play out, if they're correct, that certain things don't all fall into place at the end, that like they're supposed to, then it would make more sense of that. It could be a modified outfit as opposed to a brand new person being in the suit. Um, yeah. But there's also, I mean, the, the Morbius trailer, you know, like from what we know about Morbius is that I believe he's supposed to be from the Tobey Maguire universe. But what you call it? Um, was it Adrian Toomes? Yep. Yeah, Adrian Vulture Toomes. is also like in that movie. So you know, like I don't know that all of these villains are gonna go back. I don't know if any of them are gonna go back. Uh, you know, like it, it could just be, you know, like that. This is it, and they're they're stuck here now, or something like that, or they whatever. Maybe they'll merge. The, you know, the universe is some some I don't know weird thing like that. I, to me, the the nature of them meeting up is like it's super nebulous and it's just like oh it's magic. Don't have to explain it <laughs> because like why would just Spider Man's villains or you know or other versions of Spider Man you know show up like it doesn't no, nothing about that makes any sense whatsoever. Oh well, you gummed up the spell. It's like, well, the spell was to make people forget that he was Spider-Man. It wasn't like, you know, to get rid of his enemies or it's not like all of my, I guess, I guess a bunch of his enemies. Well, not yet. Not. I'm trying to remember now if everybody knows who he's. That he's I uh, think Spider-Man. almost I was th- I actually was thinking about about this, too. I think almost ev- I think almost everybody did know. We know, obviously, Norman. We know Norman knew. We knew Doc Ock knew. Yeah. Sandman knew. I'm pretty I think the I think the see the stuff it's shakier with the Andrew Garfield stuff because I don't because I didn't watch it as much. Right. Obviously, the Dane DeHaan Green Goblin, I think, knew. But I don't think but I'm trying. And I think the I think the lizard. Yeah, I think the lizard knew because of his ties to Peter's father. I don't remember if Jamie Foxx's Electro knew that Peter Parker was Spider-Man. 
But yeah. I don't remember if he but but I don't remember if he was unmasked at the end. All it's because that happens so constantly at the end of all these Spider-Man movies. But a right. decent chunk. All, I, I would say the majority of the villains, certainly it's just by doing math. The majority of the villains in these Spider-Man movies have known who Peter pa- that Spider-Man at some point was Peter Parker. Obviously, Adrian Toomes found out. Obviously, Mysterio knew. Yeah. So almost almost everybody does, which is kind of ridiculous too. I mean, you think about it. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, if that's how they're gonna play it, where this magical spell that makes everybody forget ends up pulling in the people from the multiverse that know who he is, like that, I guess I could buy, you know, because it is like strangely his villains that just you know seem to know who he is the most. It's really ironic. <laughs> so maybe the ones maybe- that. Okay. It's just the ones that you want to know the least. They all know. I was thinking maybe the way the, the spell gets screwed up is it's like it's try and, and instead of like wiping everybody's memory of any of anybody and everybody who knew Peter Parker was Spider Man and almost acted like a like a, a vacuum and, and the way it worked is to in order for those people to quote unquote in order for everyone those people to forget. And those other multiverses, they all got pulled into this one. <laughs> uh, so they got so in their universe, everybody they they were like the only people that knew that Peter Parker was, was Spider Man, which really wouldn't yeah. necessarily work either. But the way the spell kind of worked is like it pulled everybody into this universe where people almost everybody maybe everybody knows Peter Parker Spider Man. So it's like this yeah. is the one universe where everybody knows Peter Parker Spider Man, so everybody gets funneled into it. You're right. We don't know. They'll give us an explanation whether we buy it or whether yeah, yeah whether it's just supposed to be like this you know, plot armor, duex machina that works. Yeah. You know, hearsay. We don't know yet, but, but it was, I, but it was a, I thought it was a fun trailer, but I, yeah, I think the first trailer had me completely pumped mostly because you were hoping you were going to get all your, most of the answers in the second trailer to the big, you know, the big Spider-Man questions, <laughs> but yeah. I still, I still liked it. I We'll see how, we'll also see how much more we get to see. Now this is interesting because the rumors were all, the rumors had been going around for a while that Sony was the one who wanted to make it cl- and show Toby and Andrew, but mo- that but Feige and, and and Disney didn't want them to. They wanted those to stay as a secret until the movie came out. Yeah. So, so if it does turn out that they're in the movie, like we still suspect that they are, then this would yeah. be quite interesting that Marvel ended up winning that winning that argument or that side of the de- debate when. Right. Um, or the, I'm sure they must have. If they did, it's not because they, you know, obviously they don't they don't really have the leverage truly on Sony when it comes to this. They must have just convinced them that it would be it would it would be better to have it as a surprise. You know, be, I mean, better. it it really it would. I mean, like, yeah, you'll get people in the theater, but like, people are going to be going to the theater regardless with this movie. So you might as well leave it as a surprise. And plus, the movie does open up like in England and other places in Europe, like a couple of days before we get it. So mm-hmm. the reality is, if you want, if if we are, if we really want to know whether Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire are in this movie, we're still probably going to know before the Thursday night yeah. shows open up here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see. It's true. On to uh, sure the other thing. Unless there, unless there was something else you wanted to say about. I was going to say onward, you know, to bigger and better things, but, you know. But it's the let's eternal song. On to the, it's, it's, yeah. on, it, it's on to longer things. <laughs> yeah, it is bigger. Uh, it's 
<laughs> that's that's something, I guess. I guess that is something. Uh, I'm, I, there was a joke, but I'm letting it go. So let's just move on. <laughs> oh God! All right. So let me let me say. Well, I kind of put my initial thoughts out, you know, briefly on a in Facebook right after I saw this. So let me just mm-hmm. revisit that and I'll roll. I'll let, I'll let uh, Jim have his platform. <laughs> I. I can't say that I that I liked the Eternals. That would be a lie if I said that I liked it. I didn't hate it. It's it it. I think it's absolutely fair that if you look at the overall reviews and the and the critic scores, and even the audience scores, because if you look at the the cinema score for this movie and even where it was on, I didn't check it today, but even hovering at eighty percent on Rotten Tomatoes, it still puts it really close to Thor: Dark World territory, even from the audience score, because I think that was seventy five. I think Thor: Dark World was 75 i think this movie absolutely deserves to be put into that group which is the bottom tier of the mcu which usually not and people always there's always people who disagree but the general consensus is you throw in dark world incredible hulk one or both of the iron man sequels and that's usually in the in the bottom of the mcu and it really hasn't changed all that much since uh which is pretty remarkable considering how long ago all of those movies were. <laughs> well, actually, Iron Man 3 wasn't that that long ago, but Iron Man 2 and Dark World were were pretty were a long time ago now. I think that Guardians 2 might be in that group. See, that's grown on me. I will agree. When I first saw it, I I, I mean, I I don't I and I I need to watch the first Guardians because I haven't watched it in centuries, and I was never a huge fan of of the first movie yeah but i knew when we saw the double feature in 2017 that guardians 2 was far inferior <laughs> to the original but i've seen <laughs> guardians 2 so much on first yeah. netflix and then uh disney plus and because kurt russell's so good he's so good in that that it, it yeah it's kind of it's kind of grown on me a little but i yeah. i agree it's i don't think i don't think that's in the upper echelon too no, that's and, probably and, fair but but the Eternals, in my opinion, absolutely deserves to be in this oh, yeah. lower tier of of the MCU. It's not a complete train wreck. It de- and I, I can't even necessarily blame the majority of the casting. You could say the chemistry between certain people don't really work that well. But I don't necessarily think the acting itself or the cast is horrible. I just it's something was lacking in this movie. Whether it was the the way it jumped back and forth in time to tell the story. I'm not sure. All I know is it was ve- it's was it se- it was a long movie. It didn't completely drag, but it did seem long. It certainly was longer for t- like t- close to two hours and 40 minutes. It certainly was like eight times longer for a two hour and 40 minute movie than Endgame was for three hours. <laughs> That's for sure. And the ending, considering the end of the world was at stake, seemed so anticlimactic. It wasn't funny. So I do think this movie kind of deserves the reaction that it's gotten. Yeah, but I don't hate it. I also have. No, I think my friend Dan summed it up uh, the best when after we, we got out of the theater, he said, I'm glad I saw it, but I have no I have no need to see it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, without a doubt. Hey, does that wrap up your thoughts? Yes, I was. That was my that was my my I, I thought subtle, but obviously too subtle segue for you to just let, let her rip, let her rip, I, Jim. I, just wanted to i wanted to really just confirm it because sometimes you, you you'd have to like pause for a movie like this where it's just like oh god <laughs> to okay now back, to, <laughs> now back to shitting on it 
Yeah, it's it's enjoyable enough to watch one time. It is it has entertaining bits in it. There are like the the acting is pretty solid. Uh, all the cast does a pretty good job, some better than others. You walk away, you know, um, I, I think I think most people are going to walk away from this. Like everybody's going to like certain characters more than, you know, more than others. And there's a lot of characters. So I guess it's it's kind of impossible to give them all equal time and development. But I mean, like by the same token, I, I think the one of the best characters was um, the chauffeur. You know? Oh yeah. Uh, first, I wasn't sure if I, if I needed to respond. Then I was I was still muted, so I couldn't respond. <laughs> yes, I'm a Karun. Is that his name? I'm looking at the cast. Karun, I think, was 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 the chauffeur slash personal assistant there. Yeah. So you know, like that's and while and while like he was he was delightful to watch in the movie. Like the react, you know, his relationship uh, to. Um, I don't actually remember what his character's name was. Kingo. Kingo? Kingo. Okay. Yeah. So the the relationship and just how he interacted with the rest of the Eternals, like that was, that was fun. You know, that was really fun. Kingo was a fun character. There were other, like some fun bits in it, but overall the tone of the movie was so like dour and and downbeat and you know like i it's a first off as a superhero movie i can see that they're trying to do something new and different and you know maybe make something a little more thought-provoking or um i don't know something a little more cerebral i guess than a typical beat-em-up superhero movie but people don't want to go see a superhero movie and have it be like dour and that's that's kind of why a lot of the the dc stuff doesn't get really great reviews like it'll you know it always makes a ton of money just because people want to see the characters but like you know when those reviews come out it's like oh you know like oh they love they love Marvel and, you know, Marvel gets all the, the good, you know, reviews and everything like that. And then DC makes a movie and everybody hates it. It's like, no, I mean, you know, people just don't want to see this. It's just, it's not fun. And, you know, like, like you said, like the, at the end of the movie, like the stakes don't feel real at all. You know, like they're like, oh yeah, like this could be the end of the world and everybody dies and they're going to, you know, whatever. But it never feels like that's a, a risk at all. Like, okay, well, obviously they're going to figure out some way to do this. So there's just no tension at all. And it's just, you know, and then it's over. It's, I don't know. Like there was just, it's, there's certain aspects of it that were very good. And the overall story though, I thought was just so boring and blah that it, it doesn't make it it makes it not memorable so you know it's like you have to you kind of have to see it for the overall story but you know it's just it's just nowhere near as enjoyable as even like even the other lower echelon marvel movies like you were saying it, this is like this is the bottom one as far as i'm concerned well the the reason the, the thing that this movie has going against it that the other movies at least had as an ace in the hole is that you had the main character 
that you were interested in, either you were interested in, had already been introduced to, and or already were prone to liking. And all those other movies, whether it was Thor, whether it was Iron Man, even the Ed Norton Hulk, even though we hadn't been introduced to Ed Norton before, were prone to care about Bruce Banner and the Hulk. This, these are characters we've never seen before. They weren't introduced anywhere else. So we have no understanding of them, no vested interest in them. So that, that makes, that makes it harder. I don't think the con, well, not the constant, but I don't think the, the calling back to the Avengers by, you know, bringing them back into everybody's mind, I think works against movies like this. Because first of all, these guys are not the Avengers (laughs) by any way, shape or form. But it's also the fact that, it, like we, you and I have talked about, it keeps raising the question, which I clearly they have a plan for and an explanation for why they're doing what they're doing. But the longer we have all these huge events that keep occurring in the MCU that no Avengers show up to help with, it gets old. And even though we're going to get an explanation, you assume at some point of who the Avengers are and why they've been such low profile since Endgame, that it doesn't really help when you get all these dramatic end of the world things or or even not even end of the world things even you can make a case like in falcon and the winter soldier on tv it's like there was no event concerning the avengers had been based out of new york either the city or upstate the entire time there's nobody that could have come to help sam and bucky so after a while that stuff gets old and this movie kind of brings it to your attention even more by throwing throwing in like the joke we had seen in the trailer about who's going to lead the avengers it's like i don't know you know it the the joke about who's going to lead that was i mean you know it's it's a little silly but it's not needed i thought that kingo's line about being friends with thor you know when he was younger was that was a fun reference i i, I did like that i thought that was cool kit harrington when he was asking uh cersei about you know how come you didn't get involved and oh well we're only allowed to get involved with with deviants like okay but then at the end of the movie we find out that thanos is an eternal so why would like wouldn't eternals be able to get involved with other eternals or like he was like an eternal deviant, you know, hybrid or some whatever. Yeah, he had, I think he had he was the product of two eternals, I think, but he had but the, he had the, the deviant gene became dominant something in him or something like that. But yeah, you're right. It, it, it it's it's too it's like they answer it they answer it well in the beginning, but then yeah. when you go back and you think about it and you introduce Arrow, Star Fox and the after credit scene, then it just raises more questions. Yeah, I like they absolutely should have gotten involved. It doesn't, you know, they basically shoot a hole in their own argument for why they've been hiding. Plus, it goes against what the what the, what the celestials would have wanted, because the whole point is the celestials need enough life and enough energy right. in order for each planet that they seeded to give birth to the new celestial. So if Thanos is wiping out half the life in the universe of half the life on every planet in the universe. And that's just cutting down on the number of celestials. That are going right. to be born. So you would think it goes directly against 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 what their goal and what their plan is that you think you would think under the that would be a good time to make an exception to the rule, considering what's at stake even for them. Well, and even beyond that, beyond just, you know, Thanos trying to wipe out half of the universe, the their mission was to protect the humans from the deviants because they were not from Earth. 
And it's like, okay, we have to let them advance on their own. But like beyond just Thanos and his minions, like there was the siege on New York, which was one Asgardian, like an Asgardian, like coming over and taking over, you know, everyone and what you call it, um, and space aliens coming in through portals. That's not human development. Like that is clearly stuff from outside of human development that's trying to have an effect. Like Eternals pretty easily able to step up, step up and be like, okay, we're going to help out. So that way this other force also doesn't alter human history. So like, you know, like it's one thing if it was like, um, like Ultron. Okay. Right. Humans, humans built this thing. You know, we have to, we, we, we can't touch it. You know, like when Scarlet Witch, you know, she gets her powers, we can't touch her because she's a human and this is their development, blah, 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 blah. Makes perfect sense. But you know, like uh, their their entire mission, you know, to protect humanity from outside sources. Like, yeah, you should have stepped up for quite a few of those incursions. Oh yeah, it it's a it's a slippery slope because if we've seen anything, and, and hey, we just saw it in What If, which we had seen. You know, anybody who knows the Watcher knows for a guy who, in generally speaking, who whose role is and job is to never interfere, he miraculously interferes a whole lot. Everybody, yeah. everybody who just ends up whose job not to interfere ends up interfering, whether it's Captain Kirk, whether it doesn't. Really, at the end of the day, people, they people skirt the rules and are able to justify what how they're doing it all the time. So, yeah, it be, it be, it does be it does become questionable. I must admit that the seeing this seeing the Celestials kind of be you know, g- guardians of the universe ask and their bullshit was kind of. I can't it's hard to say it's refreshing, but it was predictable. <laughs> it's like we know better than you do. We have a master plan. And, yeah, we didn't tell you. We only told you what we needed to tell you because, hey, we're better than you are. And your job isn't to question us. All this stuff. Now, again, if you're a celestial, you can you can again the using the Mr. Spock, the needs of the many versus the needs of the few. Wiping out, you know, trillions of different forms of life on Earth. If it's going to give birth to trillions and trillions and trillions of different planets down the road from because of the celestial that's going to be born from this planet and, and the number of different other planets he's going to, he's going to help bring life to. And I guess you could try, I guess you could justify that, you know, but still, I mean, it's not so Yeah, but even then though, it's, it's not like, Oh, we're doing this for the benefit of life in the universe. They're doing this so that, okay, well, this celestial is going to create, you know, lots of new galaxies and suns and planets and everything it's like yeah they're doing that to create more celestials like this is how they propagate their species so it's not like oh we're doing this you know to to help the universe like no you're doing this for yourself and everything all the life that you know lives on these planets is completely sacrificial and means nothing to you because you just want to propagate more celestials. Oh yes, absolutely, it's self-serving. There's no, there's yeah. no, there's no, there's no doubt about that. They're what they're what they're trying to do, and, and how as self-serving as it is, clearly, it would be a nice counterbalance with with to Galactus and Galactus being the counterbalance to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With both being able to justify in their own ways. Well, yeah, what we're doing, what we're taking, doesn't really matter because what we're giving back is more. 
Because that's always yeah. been Galactus's mantra that, yes, I'm taking all this from, from the universe, but I'm destined to give back more, whatever that really turns out to be. But I'm destined to give back more than I'm taking at the end of the day. So it's going to so it justifies it. And the Celestials would do the same thing. All these planets were destroying. Now, the, the other argument would be, realistically speaking, that not all planets are created equal. So you could have this ridiculously horrible, like like the choice between if you could plant a seed and apocalypse or new Genesis, you put plant the seed in apocalypse, <laughs> uh, regardless <laughs> of the fact you don't have a lot of population there. But the point is, if every if it was going to grow and, and hatch no matter what, that's the world you'd rather see wiped out than new, than new Genesis based on the pros and the cons. Yeah. Celestials don't seem to care about that. It's like, yeah, you know, the earth, the earth has done a lot of interesting things and they, and they were able to stop Thanos and do all these things. It's like, eh, no, we got to hatch this guy. And it's like, can't you come up with a better way of not destroying the host planet? Does it have to destroy the host planet? Why, why is that? Why is that? You know, why is that necessary? Why can't, why can't you take him out, but he or her, he or she out of the, out of the planet that they're being born from, but they're smaller where it doesn't have to literally rip the planet apart. I mean, like that they have to, I guess there's no good explanation for that, but the, uh, to me, the ending, the way that it was, the way that they dealt with this, uh, should we give like a really quick synopsis sure. of this movie for anybody? Okay. So, so real quick, 7,000 years ago on earth, Eternals are basically dropped off by the celestials uh they say listen you're gonna protect this this planet uh there's um intelligent life here you want to make sure that they protect every you know the protect the humans from the deviants which are another like super race from outer space that feeds on intelligent life so that's it don't get involved just just keep the the deviants at bay uh, and they they kind of do get involved regardless. Like they do help out every once in a while. Um, uh, was it uh was um the invention guy Fistos? Yes, I, I uh, yeah, hold on, I'll get it. I, you're 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 right. You're you are in the ballpark. It is Fastos. Okay. Uh, yeah, Fastos. Uh, like he gives them ideas for like plows and eventually the atomic bomb and. You know, like throughout history, he's like kind of like helping them out with ideas and things. And they're all kind of doing that. So they help out a little, but they're trying not to like totally push, you know, humanity in one direction or the other. So then thousands of years pass and they finally wiped out all the deviants and they all kind of like they're waiting for the celestials to come get them and be like, oh, okay, you know time to go on to your next mission what was it a couple of hundred years like 300 years 500 years i think it was like around like something like 500 something like that yeah so like 500 years ago they wiped out the last deviants and they all kind of like went their separate ways and kind of retired and started living human lives you know to pass the time waiting for the celestials and then you know obviously film picks up on modern day and they all have their own you know lives and things like that and there's like flashbacks that go back and forth showing different time periods that they were in and things that they were doing and I, I'm, I'm already exhausted talking about this movie. <laughs> oh, well, uh, well. <laughs> they they all go they all go their separate ways they all live they all experience human life in a different way the relationships some of the ones that were close 
some of the relationships that were close, like Cena and uh, Gilgamesh, that, uh, maintain themselves. Some break apart, like Cersei and Icarus. But in the meantime, as we get into modern times, current, we find out that all the deviants were not really dead. They were frozen. Damn global warming. That some <laughs> deviants still still existed. So the, the they're trying to rally all the, the Eternals back, all pulling, pulling them, putting the band back together again to try mm-hmm. to deal with these deviants that are now one on one deviant, deviant in particular. It's kind of like almost like a almost like a super scroll, like absorbing everybody's abilities. But and but mind you, the deviants become a red herring in this whole movie, because not only are they not really the bad guy, they really aren't the major threat you have to deal with. But they don't. But we don't know that at, at for most of the movie. We just think the Eternals have to team up again to stop the Deviants because the Celestial is about to be born. And but by this point, so much of the team has become accustomed to human life and being and seeing the beauty of humanity, along with the rotten part, uh, clearly. But they see the good and what this what humanity is capable of. They're no longer half about half the team is no longer sure that Earth should be destroyed to give birth to, to a Celestial. So they eventually decide to intervene to try to stop the celestial from being born and we can go into specifics but that that's that's eventually <laughs> that's essentially how the movie the third act plays out as they they team up to the majority of the eternals team up to stop the celestial from being hatched yeah yeah the idea is like to first they want to like put it back to sleep uh and then kick the can down the road a bit so that humanity has time to get off of earth and go colonize right. another planet but or you know figure out a way to get the the celestial out of the earth without destroying the earth and they end up skipping both of those ideas and just uh cersei uses her transmutation powers amplified by the uni mind powered by the other uh, eternals and ends up transmuting a celestial into stone. To be continued, literally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And because they basically killed a celestial, um, the other celestial that had brought them there came and retrieved them. I guess that celestial only took like three of them, right? It took uh, Cersei. It took... Kingo. Um, it did take Kingo? Yeah. And who was the third one? Was it Thena? Yeah. No, Thena was on the ship. Mm. Let me take a look at. Let me look at. Let me look at the, the exciting cast again, and we'll see who it is. Uh, yeah. Wasn't Sprite? Because Sprite was me. Uh, it was Fastos, wasn't it? Because uh, who was who was on the it? ship? Uh, well, because yeah, because Makari, who I did like, Makari, yeah. Druig, and Thena were the ones on the ship, I believe. Gilgamesh that sounds right. Gilgamesh was dead. Yes. Ajax dead. Sprite human, or at least going to. But it's not, I guess it's not 100 percent clear if human means she has no powers. She, we just know she's going to age. The um, I guess the directors or producers or something did come out and say that she gave up her powers. OK, for now, so, for now. Yes. As we uh, as far as right now. So, yeah. And so those those three Eternals get taken by uh, I'll, I'll dig it up. Yeah. And, and as far as we know, Icarus is probably dead, but he flew into the sun. So there's really no telling whether or not he actually is dead yeah i i I would i would not bet that he was dead i i know i know you can read into that and imply especially because of the story which you know the icarus myth which is where 
Arish was it no it wasn't was it Arisham? No. Arisham was the um the celestial. It was? Okay, good. That's yes. good. Yeah. Uh that because of the of, of the myth of Icarus getting too close to the sun, then I guess it's understandable that we would think that, oh, it was an appropriate way for him to die. But I don't necessarily think that he's dead. Just like um there's always a chance that art that what's it whichever that Tiamat was Tiamat or was that the one that was supposed to be born? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because I'm looking at the list of celestials. So there's there there's no guarantee that he's not going to be born at some point or taken out. He's just he he's put on ice. So in this case, being put on ice means kind of being turned to stone and ice. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So Arisham takes takes the three that I guess he judges are most responsible, which would make sense because. Uh, Fastos was the one who came up with the Unimind concept. Yeah. He takes them to judge them, and that will also determine Earth's fate. He's going to basically determine Earth's fate by, I guess, judging them and their thoughts and their assessment of Earth. Right. And then the other Eternals, well, the other, what the other Eternals were what going? They were flying in space to what, try to reach to contact other Eternals, right, to basically tell them the truth. Yes, exactly. And that's how, and that's when they, and that's when we get. It leads into the po- first post credit scene with God help us with Pip the troll and Harry Styles as, as the character we never needed to see arrows slash star Fox. Yeah. Woo-hoo! Brother of Thanos. Yes. Brother of Thanos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the second after credit scene was better. Yeah, of course. Uh, we'll, we'll get, we'll get yes, there. I know. We'll, I'm we'll saying save, save the best for last. <laughs> Yeah. So now with with the transmuting of Tiamat to stone, like that, that to me, like that was the laziest ending that they could have gone with. And like she's basically just like standing there and like, you know, like trying real hard and this thing just turns to stone and like that's it. And it's like, oh, that was it. Like, you know, you just had all this, you know, other stuff going on. And all she had to do was just try extra hard and have this extra boost of power while she was touching the celestial and she just turned it to stone. It's just like, it seemed like so, it was so anticlimactic. There was no, there was nothing at stake. If they had figured out a way to get Tiamat out without destroying the earth, like if she just transmuted everything into air for a second and then transmuted it back you know, just long enough for him to get out. Like that would have been really amazing. Like that would have been something triumphant. It's like, okay, well, you didn't just kill a freaking celestial. And obviously, like, I guess she had to so that they could do judgment and then pick up that thread in either a sequel or if this doesn't do well enough to warrant a sequel, then, you know, pick it up in an Avengers movie or something like that. Uh, at this point, I don't know that we'll see another Eternals movie. It could just be Eternals showing up in an Avengers movie. I think one aspect of this, which I think I would, I would almost suspect this is how they'll delve into this to justify it. Cause remember when they were doing the Unimind stuff, they talked about the fact that Tiamat was kind of like joining in into this. He was basically being part of the Unimind. So maybe we're going to find out that Tiamat himself for whatever reason felt this was the right thing to do at, at that time. And I say that only because, I mean, 
according to like if you read about stuff, Tiamat's supposed to be really, really powerful, like really powerful. He's supposed to be powerful enough that the that the Watcher can't see him, which is not supposed to be able to happen. That supposedly Galact, you know, he's he's like the one celestial that Galactus doesn't want to mess with. That he's supposed to be really powerful. So that would a potentially explain why. Cersei was able to have enough power to do what she did because she was being amped up so much by his his addition into the Unimind. But also we could get an explanation for down the road that of why he chose to do this, that he could have easily been born on his, then if he wanted to. But he himself, maybe there was something that he knew or or the power that he had. He felt that this was the right thing to do with the time, that this was not his time to be born yet. So I think that some elements of that, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they pick up on that, especially the fact that why? Because maybe Arishem doesn't realize at the time that he's taking them. Maybe this will come out during the judgment phase that maybe he may view things a little differently if once he understands that Tiamat willingly joined into the Unimind to give to help amp up the power. It's like, well. Like he didn't have to do that, but he did it. So maybe that's gonna make yeah. maybe that's gonna make Arishram think twice. I mean, I think that's a possibility, but I think it's unlikely. I think that Tiamat was definitely trying to get out, and because of the fact that when um when an eternal is like in contact with a celestial. Like that gives them a power boost that allows them to survive the death of a planet, you know, they mentioned. Uh, and the the Unimind, like, you know, letting them all transfer all of their powers and si- siphon the powers off of the Celestial. I, f- I feel like it was definitely being taken against the will of Tiamat. The okay. other thing that I thought would explain why. I mean, like, you know, as far as why would team might be more powerful than the other Celestials if they do figure out a way to revive him or have him in the future? Uh, the fact of the matter is that after the like um, after the snap, half the population, you know, decreases and then it gradually starts up again for five years. And then, and then five years later, the blip and it brings everybody else back that's going to like supercharge the celestial like well beyond what a normal celestial would achieve you know through the uh, the natural you know percent per progress or whatever yeah from an evol- evolutionary process that instead of slowly developing you get it's you get kind of like kind of like thor shooting that power into tony stark's armor <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah, I could buy yeah. that. I could see I could see that as being certainly viable. Yeah, if they, you know, go that route. But yeah, I, you know, so um the I guess the blind loyalty of Icarus to the mission was kind of not that believable. You know, like he was he was so I don't know, just like so heavily into it that, you know, he was willing to kill anybody that got in his way. Uh, The other thing was we never found out what he was doing when he left Cersei. You are correct. You are correct. Because there there is a there is a specifically, yes, as in what he was doing all that time. Yes, we know why he left Cersei, because of the fact that once he found out the truth. 
Yeah. Once he found out the truth that he couldn't, that he knew he would have to tell, he would have to tell her. And yeah. he probably knew how she was going to react to it. So that's why he, he, he didn't, he didn't want to tell her. Right. Uh, his loyalty is an intra- is an interesting thing because on one level, I mean, it's like any kind of loyalty. You can look at it on one level and say it's admirable because loyalty is not a, a, a really strong, a, a, a trait that people really demonstrate a lot of true loyalty very often. It's usually, you know, what have you done for me lately? And I'm loyal to whatever helps me at the given moment. And then, yeah. So on one level, it's, it, it's admirable, but you would, you would think that considering, and they kind of set this up in the beginning of the movie that Ajax, you know, was so loyal to, to Arisham, except for, you know, except, you know, until, or that one moment or until, however they phrased it, that you were waiting for what the moment was that basically the instance that, you know, she kind of flipped or she thought that she thought that Arisham was wrong. You didn't necessarily know that she completely flipped against them. She just thought that in that they were setting it up where it could have just been, they wanted the the Eternals to do something. And she thought the decision was wrong. Not that necessarily the whole mission that they'd been put on was wrong, but once you find out that was what happened, that Ajak, who is the Salma Hayek character, that she realizes that she comes to realize that what they're doing, that their mission is wrong, that 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 is would have an effect on Icarus, except obviously Icarus was kind of power hungry in his own way. He was he liked the fact that so many people saw him as the, you know, the the heir apparent to Ajak to be, to be yeah. waiting in the wings to take over. So that, so. I guess you can you can look at it from that aspect too that you know the absolute power corrupts absolutely aspect since he is the Superman literally of the group based on his power set that yeah. that he is so loyal and again it's like dealing with the Guardians is like if you're if you believe the Guardians know exactly what they're doing and they have the greater good in mind then you'll either help them do bad things or stand by and let bad things happen if because they're telling you this may look bad but even though the guardians would probably never even say that, but the, you know that the guardians are making a choice regardless of how it looks to others, that there's a greater good in here. There's a bigger picture. We're seeing that you don't trust us. And that's the way Icarus viewed Arisham and the celestials. Yeah. But, but it's also to point out that he's not the only one who thought this way among the group. I mean, Kingo still thought that the celestial should be born and talk about somebody who really lived the life and took advantage of, of humanity. And I don't mean yeah. using humanity, but the benefits of what being, you know, living on the earth could be like, you know, and it may be shallow uh, materialistic ways and then Sprite. But of course, Sprite was, you could make a case. She was doing it more out of personal, her personal love for Icarus. Yeah. That, but either way, you pretty much had close to half the team that was left at that point that was willing to, still side with Arisham. So it wasn't so, it wasn't so straightforward. Mm, it's true. Was there anything else that we wanted to discuss before, before the, the last extra credits, the uh, post credit scene? Yes. Um, of course. Well, you liked, you liked Fastos's family. Right? I did actually. Yes. That, that scene where like he had to say goodbye to, you know, try and save the world when he wanted he wanted nothing to do with them or you know their mission or anything he 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 would have been content to just kind of like stick around and uh you know let let the planet die but he'd be with his family 
you know, instead he had to say goodbye to them to go try and stop it. I that that was um, that was pretty moving. It was an emotional scene. The uh, one of the few like emotional scenes of that movie for me. The the sex scene I thought was like completely pointless. I did not need that in the slightest. It just it it seemed it seemed incredibly out of place in a Marvel movie. And and maybe because they were and it maybe gets mag in a way maybe it gets magnified how ineffective and un unnecessary it was because of the fact that they probably figured hey if we have this really raunchy sex scene where it's like oh there's a lot of groaning and movement that people are really gonna lose their lose their shit so why would make but instead you make it this most the most antiseptic un, unsexy love scene and it's like it's like then it makes you wonder why they even bothered <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's like yeah yeah I, I i agree with you i mean i assume i don't think i i don't think i necessarily knew that the sex scene was between them i just knew that it was going to be one yeah but yeah i would agree with you i think that i don't think that did much for the story i think looking at these characters real quick the, the ones we haven't spent a lot of time with i thought i thought angelina jolene's thena jolie thena was pretty good i like the fact that she was screwed up because of, as we find out, the Celestials are basically like almost like meat 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 robots. <laughs> that after every time they act, every time they succeed on a planet and and a Celestial gets born, they go back to get basically reprogrammed and repurposed before being sent out for another mission. But obviously, yeah. Thena's memories were never completely. 100% wiped the way they should have been. So she was having all these flashbacks and, in, and, and interactions with past lives, which made her completely unreliable as an ally. <laughs> uh, Gilgamesh could get through to her and actually they all, I mean, Ajax was pretty good too at the, when she was there, but yeah, I, I did like her character though. I thought, I thought, I thought she, it's Angelina Jolie. She could very easily have not taken this seriously and mailed it in considering the material, but I think she, she came to play. I thought yeah. that was good. Uh, I, I mentioned I, I liked Lauren Ridloff as Makari. She would, they didn't do that much with her. Yeah, she really didn't no. have a lot of screen time till the end when they gave her a cool fight scene with Icarus because of using her super speed. But she, I thought she was cool. Jurig was at least an interesting character because you had the you know you saw the negative aspect of what can happen when you have a character who can control people's minds, but you also yeah. saw the the conflict and like when they were watching the conquistadors slaughter everybody. And it's like, well, I can yeah. just stop all of this and I'm not being, you know, that's the, the problem with not being able to interfere. It's like, you could stop all this genocide and everything else just anytime, anywhere, just by a, a snap of his finger, no pun intended. And the reality is he, he wasn't being allowed to. And that's what, that's what essentially caused him to say, screw this. I'm leaving. And I'm going right. to do my own thing. So he was, so there was certainly potential there going down, uh, Gilgamesh was kind of he was funny for what he he didn't have a huge role in the movie as in screen time, but he was funny as you know as the strong as the strong guy and the guy who was basically watching over Athena and they had a yeah. special relationship to make sure she didn't hurt herself or anybody else. And as we're gonna and maybe this is a good way to segue into the last credit scene that obviously Kit Harrington as Dane Whitman was really good considering he was in the movie for like five minutes. <laughs> but it was an impactful five minutes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 I, I I greatly wish that he was in more of the movie. So, yeah. Mer- Mer- uh, Mercari. 
<laughs> I'm thinking Macari, like the, the buying and selling thing. Macari, she was good, but I didn't get enough of her to care a lot about her character. Like she was fine. I like the relationship her and Druig. That was cool. You know, like they pick up on the thing with the the emerald tablet in the end. I thought um, Druig was okay. The I, I like Gilgamesh a lot. He was um, for as little as we had of him. I, I thought he was really good. I was not. I was very hesitant. You know, on the the Angelina Jolie character. But yeah, like you said, like she she really came, she really delivered, she was she was really great. The the thing that I hated was like the name of the disease Mad Weary. Like it was just like, oh God, it's such a cheesy name. Like, and I'm sure that that's gotta be something from those old comics, because it's just such a horrible idea. And the concept of, you know, remembering the past lives is fine, but just calling it Mad Weary is stupid. Yeah, I mean, beyond that, the um, really, I did not connect with the Ajax character, like, at all. She she, I, she didn't have a lot of screen time, but I, I just, I don't know, I, I could care less. And the relationship between Cersei and Icarus I thought some parts of that were some parts you felt most of it just felt kind of hollow. It's like, yeah, you know, like these people have a relationship and you know that because we keep on telling you, but you know, you don't feel it in, in the slightest bit, but um, yeah, she definitely, yeah. Had more, she had more of a connection with Dane Whitman. There's no doubt about that chemistry. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They had a lot of chemistry. Um, I, you know, like, and it's always nice because like when you have like a um this long, long, long movie um where they're going and doing flashbacks and like different times and going around the world and whatnot. Like you had like that's that small little scene where they're at a party together and it's like like that was nice. That was just really nice that you know you get to see him and her interacting together and you do see the chemistry that you don't get between her and Icarus that really they should have done a better job with that. But regardless, yeah, I mean, from, from the beginning to the end, you know, which is the majority of the Dane Whitman character, I, I thought he was um, severely underused. They could have used a lot more of him. And now leading into the second after critters credits thing. Well, the after the second after credit scene, which is the more interesting of the two, is which which Dane, I mean, first Dane Whitman is kind of sets up that scene when she's ta- he's talking to Cersei about basically that she, she's not the only one that has secrets. Yeah. And, and he's about to share his with. And that's when Arisham comes and plucks the three Eternals away for judgment and, and for eventually judging the Earth via these Eternals. But yeah. we pick up where he basically but which. In, in Marvel Comics is the Ebony Blade, which is his family sword, which was created by Merlin, right? I believe. I believe so. Yes, I believe so. That it was created by Merlin. It's got a whole list of powers, which we, most of which we won't go into now, but it's pretty damn yeah. powerful. Really damn yes. powerful. But it's cursed. So there's negative aspects to if for, for you to wield it. And, he, and obviously there is some the lore must have been passed down in his family 
that he has found about the sword because he still he still thinks he's compelled to to pick to touch the sword to pick it up regardless of the fact that he knows there's a risk that he's got to try and as he starts reaching for you know he starts reaching for the sword to to really grasp it you hear the are you what are, are you sure you want to do that are you ready was it are you ready for that mr whitman are you sure you want to do that mr whitman I think it's, are you sure you're ready, ready for that? Ready for it. Yeah, that was my third choice. <laughs> yeah. I knew it was something like that, yes. Which, of course, some people picked up on it right away. I didn't, but that was Blade. Yes. That was Blade talking to him. Uh, not on, you don't see him. You don't, you don't see Blade on screen. But that is, that is Blade speaking to Dane Whitman. And yeah. then that's, that's the end of that scene. Which, of course, certainly raises the, expect, the specter, but um bum for us that uh, mm-hmm. we will see maybe uh, Kit Harrington in the Blade movie next, potentially. Not necessarily, but maybe. Mm. You know, the um, yeah, the other thing I'll note is that they did set that up slightly because, you know, when they thought that the end of the world was, you know, imminent, she's like, you should, you know, make amends with your uncle, you know, before, you know, while you still have time type thing. That was one of the things yes. that she said to him on the phone. So I guess we're left to believe that he did call, make amends, and the uncle, I guess, bequeathed him the sword or something like that. Um, Because as soon as he saw her again, it's like, yeah, you're not the only one who has secrets. Like, I feel like he's probably the kind of person that would have mentioned this if he had the sword prior. Now... From what I know, oh, and they also mentioned the ebony blade in the movie earlier um, in the uh, in the spaceship. Macari has like her pile of loot, basically. And uh, I think Fina pulls up a sword and he's and she's like, you know, is right. This, because uh, she mentioned that Arthur like had the, somebody mentions that Arthur like had the hots for her or something. Yeah. It's like, is it was this the ebony blade or Excalibur? Um, and I think McCary says, uh, that's Excalibur. It's like, oh yeah, you know, and like you said, but, um, so yeah, so they do make a reference early on from what I remember, um, of the Ebony Blade, as long as you're holding it, you're immortal and can't be killed. I believe, um, like it, it provides you with some kind of like magic armor, but you like, it's. It's indestructible and you can't be, you're immortal while you're holding it. And if you let it go, then you can be killed. And it cut through anything, I believe. Yes. Including yeah. adamantium and vibranium and celestials. Huh. That's what my, from, my five, from what I, I may not be accurate, but I remember reading some stuff about the ebony blade after the movie came out. And I believe yeah. that besides being able to absorb, I think, almost any kind of energy i think it can cut through anything and i think it can i could it could besides yeah it can cut through vibranium vibranium and and adamantium but i think it also can cut through technically it could cut through a celestial so which would be which would be real convenient if he's going to rescue uh cersei at some point <laughs> well yeah yeah that's that's obviously why he's picking it up because he he wants to be ready for that now I'm not familiar with any connection between the Black Knight and Blade. I wasn't either. There, there, there might be some out there. I was not aware of a natural connection between 
between the two. I mean, I, I don't doubt it. It it does kind of lend itself to possibly crossing over because it's if it's the ebony blade, you know, ebony, you know, darkness, nighttime, vampires. Supernatural. You know, like I, yep. Anything. Yeah, I, I can see that. And maybe we'll see maybe we'll we'll see him show up in the um werewolf by night Halloween special next year. Yeah, now we're down now we're down to a Halloween special, not even a show, it's a Halloween special, which I guess is better than nothing, even though yeah. considering who they cast, I'm I I would have to say and it, the odds are they're not gonna go with Jack Russell. They could. They could they could just change they could just change Jack Russell, you know, and make him not as white bread, if you will, as he was, but considering there's all the, the new the new werewolf by night they introduced recently, I think, I believe, I think he is Hispanic. So that made me, as soon as they, as soon as I saw who they cast, it made me think, oh, they're not even going to give us Jack Russell. I could be wrong on that. I hope I am because I think at the very least that you might as well go with the classic. Yeah. And it's not like, well, and it's not like you have a duality where it's like, even though again, picking a Spider-Man is really crazy too. Cause it's only really Peter Parker. I mean, Miles Morales, maybe for some people, but at the end of the day, it's still Peter Parker for some, but at least Miles Morales has been around or what, what was it? Miguel has been, had been around for a long period of time. I mean, this other werewolf by night literally just got introduced versus Jack Russell has been around since the seventies. So based yeah, on pain, I mean, you, like okay. That, that that's the kind of thing that you can easily you know do as okay well you know this is the werewolf by night and let's do a flashback of the prior werewolf by night you know back in the i don't know 80s or 90s or whatever you know like you want to set it uh and that was the original you know one and uh, eventually that led to this new one you know being created or whatever that that's that's not that's not super difficult to to do so i i wouldn't i wouldn't worry too much about that but then again i don't have as much of a history with the character yeah Yeah. but we'll see i mean it's 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 a nice it's a nice thing just that we're getting it so yeah yeah it would be you know it's just like it still would be cool if the character got introduced in uh moon knight first assuming moon knight does come out first but uh we we will see it would be uh, Marvel certainly going down an interesting road with their TV shows, considering that I noticed that they're kind of going in an opposite trajectory of the movies. That the movies in Phase Four have started out with a whole lot of a whole lot of question marks and a whole lot of lack of super enthusiasm, and now yeah. they should the second part of Phase Four they're actually hitting the movies that the characters people care about. Yeah, how it ends may be debatable now because you're gonna we have to see what happens with. With the Marvels, a sequel that's so exciting they can't even put the main character's name in the title of the movie. <laughs> it can't even be Captain Marvel. The Marvels, it's just the Marvels. I, I'm, I'm, I am psyched about that movie. Yeah, but are you psyched because of Captain Marvel? No. <laughs> and that's probably the reason, in all honesty, why her name's not in the title with a subtitle. Being um, the Marvels, I, I do like Brie Larson. I, the first movie I thought, you know, it, it was it was a good movie. I just I wasn't excited about it, but I do like Brie Larson. And I mean, you know, you got Brie Larson and um, and the Monica. other two. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think I think that should be a, a pretty fun movie. I also think that when she showed up, you know, what is it after 
20, 30 years or whatever in space for, um, for Endgame, like she was, I guess, a little more she's, laid back. She's more, she's more likable. She's still arrogant, which is annoying, but she, but she is, she's more human. She's yeah. not as robotic. I mean, there's no, yeah. I mean, there's going to be an, in, don't get me wrong. There's going to be an interest in that movie. I just, it's just, it's not one of the, it's certainly not one of the phase fours movies. People are going to be raising their hand. Oh, I can't wait. Even when, even before we had the, you know, we saw with black widow and the Eternals and Shang-Chi with Shang-Chi clearly being the winner of the three. <laughs> yeah. Uh, has been so far that I think most people would say the Marvels was not, but the, the point was the TV shows started the opposite. They took characters we already knew and arguably were underdeveloped with yeah. Wanda and vision and Sam and Bucky and Loki, and we're going to get Hawkeye. And what if was all about revisiting events and characters we saw. And now they're yeah. about to roll into a whole lot of obscurity. We know, I mean, some of these characters are better known than others. Like She-Hulk is known better. Moon Knight's still relatively obscure. Yeah. Uh, Ms. Marvel may have a rabid but small fan base. But, but you know, the Echo, the Agatha Harkness stuff, which I know you'll have a great interest in. But the reality is these yeah. are kind of mining the bottom of the barrel from a for, to a certain extent. And so it's inter- it's going to be interesting to see how as these TV shows go play out, how audiences react to them as time goes by, whether the. It's going to be as much of a slam dunk that people are going to just love these things or gravitate to them. Now, TV, you have more flexibility, like the Eternals, like a lot of people said, might have been better served being a being a TV sh- show instead of a movie. Yeah. Where you didn't yeah. have to, where you could have done the backstory you wanted, and make it work, and not, and then no one's going to be judging it for being too long in a in a theatrical movie, but yet you you get the backstory you need to understand the characters and you care more about the decisions they make. Yeah. But it was just I just thought it was in, I just thought it was an for me it's an, an just an observation that they started off and uh, there's like two ships that are crossing in the night now that the movies are about to are heading into the interesting part of phase four. And the TV shows are borderline moving away from the most interesting part. The ease, I mean, Ironheart and all these and these other shows that are coming that you just don't know how many people really are going to care that much about. Well, they're going to hope that you care a whole lot. <laughs> yeah, because it's because it's going to be keeping Disney Plus afloat. <laughs> they yeah. hope. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think She-Hulk and Moon Knight are going to. They're they're gonna find their fan base. Uh, word of mouth, you know, everybody everybody's you know got Disney Plus, so you know something like that. You got Oscar Isaac. Um, you can have Mark Ruffalo in the She Hulk show. She Hulk is She Hulk is an easier sell. There's no doubt. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think Echo. To me, Echo is a tougher sell, but. Based on from what I've been hearing that they're going to reboot the Netflix characters into that show, you know, and incorporate them into the Marvel Universe that way. That's going to garner them a lot of um, a lot of interest from the people that did like those Netflix shows a lot. So that's true. Okay, doke. Should we uh, wrap it up? Sure. Got anything you want to anything you want to push or promote? Uh yeah the um I've been doing a couple of episodes on the Lantern Cast 
<laughs> no, with who? <laughs> You've been two-timing me with Bokelman again. <laughs> <laughs> Lanterncast at gmail.com. You ho. <laughs> yeah, that is true. And lanterncast.com. Mm-hmm. You know, Twitter, Facebook, we have a we have some presence on that. <laughs> <laughs> And you can sometimes listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. I listen exclusively on Spotify. (laughs) Well, we appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And for anyone out there, wherever you listen to us, please leave us a positive review. And of course, last but not least, the voicemail for texting and voicemail is 708 Lantern. 708 Lantern. And let us know what you think. Yes. Uh, good night everybody so long